Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Cretans, Cretans. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, <clears throat> John. The other day, I realized that uh, I am not a winking person. Oh, really? I am not a winker. I see people, you know, wink, and it looks really cool. You know, mm-hmm. they. Uh, they kind of do, do that thing, yeah. Things, you know, and uh, you know, they they say something, mm-hmm. uh, something funny uh, to somebody, and then they give kind of give them a wink. And I don't know, maybe it's my squinty eyes, maybe it's maybe it's just I don't I, I don't have the personality to pull it off. I think uh, it's very difficult. Are you a winker, John? Uh, yeah, I can be. Actually, I'm more of a the uh, Spock eyebrow kind of thing. Yes, yes, um, uh, yes. But uh, I can I can separately wink each eye. Uh huh. And that's um, good. That's yeah. probably in the neurological tests that they do. Yeah. When they're yeah. seeing if you have uh, suffered a stroke, it's probably one of that's those right. things. Yeah. Yep. Learned and, it specifically for that. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Preventative, proactive. You know. You know who I imagine probably uses the wink quite well. Ah. Our good friend John Blickman, I imagine. Yes, yes. I imagine, you know, he's probably, you know, comes up with some brilliant engineering idea to improve your brew day. Uh-huh. And uh, he, you know, he's, he releases this information to his team and follows it up by by a wink. I, I, that's how I Yeah, I bet he does. Him. You know, and I, he can pull it off. He's He's got the the brain power and the, the ability to uh, to make that happen. So... Uh, if, if for nothing else that he's a great winker, I would, uh, <laughs> I would urge you to check out, uh, BlickmanEngineering.com and, uh, send a email to our good friend, uh, John Blickman feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Tell him how much you appreciate that he pays for the show. So you don't have to maybe next time you say him, give him a nice wink, uh, you know, a wink yeah. of acknowledgement that he he's uh, done the show. We should, specif- we should specify wink, not wank, just to be clear. I said very clearly he's a winker. That's right. <laughs> I, did not, I did not say wanker. I, I don't know where you got that from. I said he's a winker. Well, and also not, not a wanker. Uh, Ryan uh, Burke is with us. Uh, he's the head. The greatest cider. introduction I've ever received. <laughs> the head cider maker and head of research and development at Angry Orchard. Uh, Ryan, do you ever do you ever wink at people when you're when after no. you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have the physical ability to wink, but <laughs> I wouldn't say that I, on average, wink. Um, okay, I actually prefer to close both eyes and just sort of nod out. Right, <laughs> very good, very good. Right. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I saw somebody on TV the other day, like winking after something. I thought, well, that's that. You know, that person really's got the wink down. I just realized <laughs> over the course of you know uh, fifty nine years, I really have not utilized the wink. <laughs> And it's maybe a physical limitation I have. I don't know. Uh, you and Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Ryan, we, yeah. we got you here today because we wanted to talk about cider. We wanted to, uh, you know, you you started out uh, cider making a long time ago. How did you get started in cider? Yeah, I. Um, There's lots I mean, of I, cider jokes too. <laughs> yeah. Um, my. My uh, amateur career started quite a long time ago. Yeah. Um, where I come from, which is Williamson, New York, is a little town sort of equidistant from Syracuse and Rochester. Um, it, Good apple uh, country. Is, it isn't. Yeah, it's not much more than an apple orchard um, that feeds the, the Mott system. Um, so if you're familiar with Mott's apple, everything that that's actually the primary factory is located in Williamson, where I grew up. Um it was also a dry town from Prohibition until the 2000s. So um, a lot of illicit cider making um, has gone on there. Um, I guess not so illicit now that it's legal. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, growing up, there was just a lot of cider making traditions um, that you might, let's say, were discoverable for interested youths. So you, um, so you, you started making cider as a teen? Yeah, well, I'm not supposed to say that on record. Um, right, we don't, like, right. don't uh, want to encourage that kind of thing. But um, <laughs> like I said, interested parties could figure it out. <laughs> as long as you didn't drink it, it's fine. Right, yes. As long as you didn't drink it or taste it, you could certainly it's, make it. It is um, just experimentation at that point. That's right. Um, so I, I, I was aware of it as a, as a drink. Um, it certainly wasn't. Uh, at Williamson Senior High School, they didn't talk about how this might be a career path. Mm -hmm. Um, but in college I've, I've discovered home brewing, um, and eventually I landed in Chicago. Um, I did a lot of work with slow food out there and through that work, um, I met Greg Hall as he was exiting Goose Island and, uh, he was starting Virtue Cider and I did all the early fermentation work there, um, as a, as a law student. Um, and then Greg, uh, asked me to come on as a cider maker and eventually I the head cider maker. And I ran that program for about five years until, uh, I came oh. over to angry orchard. So it sounds like at least to me, you could be talked into doing just about anything. <laughs> Go to law school. Yeah. yeah. Slow food. Yeah. yeah. Cider. Yeah. I tried it out. Yeah. I tried, I tried law school out. It ultimately wasn't for me. And I, I, you know, I didn't know that until I went to Chicago and I kind of got involved in the communities that I got involved in. And I, um, I'm lucky to have been in a community where homebrewing was like such a big deal. And we were at least in the circles I was running in. And we had this really like competitive homebrew group. Uh, we threw these parties, which were certainly illegal um, uh, via the chef named Juan Kim and he would cook and we would all come and we would, you know, we would all bring our best stuff and we'd, we would, you know, a lot of camaraderie, nice. but a lot of competition and we would sell tickets. It was kind of like a homebrew rave. Um, and, and we did, we did get in a little bit of trouble here and there. Um, but eventually everybody in that group 
um, has gone on to either start their own brewery, um, open their own restaurant or make cider one person me um, <laughs> and, and or work in the in the brewing industry in some way. So I, it, it really was like my formative years um, kind of building taste. And, you know, Chicago is just such an awesome homebrew scene. It's such an active homebrew scene. And, mm-hmm. you know, Goose Island is a big big part of that they've you know always kept their doors open having Siebel there has always been um, a driver so there's just a lot of excitement around it and I was just lucky to get involved with with that group Um, and ultimately I was like wow I'm doing the wrong fucking thing I need to get out of this can I swear on this oh yeah okay Um, that's good because I swear a lot Um, so yeah I, I I just realized this is the wrong path and I'm I'm gonna do this and I I was lucky to find a way out. Um, and that was, was virtue. Very cool. Very cool. Well, and, uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, making beer, making cider. Did you make, you ever make wine, mead, any of that stuff? Mead. Come on. Don't insult me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've done a little bit of wine here and there. Um, nothing that I would be, you know, proud to show you. Um, we do at in Walden and Agri Orchard. We we do some grape and cider co fermentation stuff. That that's fun. Um, Makes sense. And certainly, I still like keep my hand in doing beer stuff. We've done a lot of beer collaborations over the years and continue to do that work. Um, a yeah, beer, so, I mean, a I, beer cider collaboration. Yeah, we've done. We did a collab with Side Project out in St. Louis. Um, we okay. have done a, we've done something with Crooked Stave, which we have yet to release. Um, but that yeah, good. I mean, for me, it's just like collaboration work is all, is about friendship. Um, and a lot mm-hmm. of these guys have been a part of my life for a long time. I've always been kind of close to the beer scene. Um, spent a lot of time up at Hill Farmstead with Sean. He's a good friend of mine. Um, so I, I sort of like, I don't really like to put limits on what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm more, I'm more interested in like exploring the personal relationships and the right. people that like get me fired up and get me excited and think about things either the way I do or in a completely different way and find ways to do really like personal, personal collaborative work, not just like no phone in shit, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, throw this in. Okay. But yeah. Um, you know, in oh. the case you know, for instance, of, 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 um, side project, I shipped a bin of apples, um, out from New York to St. Louis. And then I flew out there and I met up with Corey and we did, uh, we hand crank, we ordered a hand crank, a uh, mill off of Amazon. And I sat there and hand cranked an entire bin of apples, crab apples. So like this big oh, wow. off our farm, I mean, all day long, just absolute hell but it was a blast and ultimately the beer was, you know, was awesome. So um, yeah, I mean, we've done, you know, collaborations with coffee, coffee roasters, brewers, cider makers, winemakers, no mead um, for all the mead friends out there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, that's, so. that's the, the best part of collaboration. Exactly. Like you, you described it is, you know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be a collaborative effort with your friends, you know, something that challenges you, you know, mentally, maybe even physically, you know, you're making something that you would never make before versus just kind of repeating. I, I, every once in a while I get somebody that's trying to get me to do 
a collaboration for marketing purposes. It would be good because, you know, yeah. X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I don't know those people. I don't know. I'm not going to do it. If I don't respect what you're already making, if I don't yeah. like you as a person, then, you know, there's no way it's going to happen. I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree. I don't and care. The world doesn't need another collaboration. So right. it should always be, you know, if, if you're going to introduce one, in my view, it should always be really personal and, 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 and interesting that way. It has to be like beyond the marketing, even beyond the, you know, beyond what's in the bottle or in the keg. I think it's, you know, I, I, each one of the collaborations we've done over time is something that I've like really learned from, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the case of this coffee collaboration we did, I end up, I end up in Costa Rica at a coffee selection, <laughs> you know, like what, what I would have never, nice. that's never a thing I thought I would get to say. And I mean, this industry mm-hmm. is just like so amazing that way where, you know, over time I've met this roaster who, you know, has become a really good friend of mine who ultimately, you know, was like, Hey, why don't we take this one step further and go to the actual place where we get this from and you can meet the grower and be a part of a cupping and you know what? Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it's unreal. Um, so to like drive down to the source on something like that. I mean, that that's life changing. Right. And I'll tell that right. story for the rest of my life. Oh, and I'll, yeah. I, now I know this family in Costa Rica who I'm in communication with, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, those are the kinds of things that I think are really valuable when it comes to collaborating. It's the coolest thing about, you know, this, this space of, you know, craft, I guess, you know, craft beer, craft coffee, craft uh, cider, craft, you know, it, 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 it's a mentality and a, and a, you know, a way of living that, uh, you know, gets you to travel. And when you do travel, you get to meet people and do interesting things and it extends out and it, it has this resonance through life that's just beautiful you know it's it's a you know it's no no wonder you uh you left law school to yeah. uh you know oh, do man. something more uh, you know well and you know not that law school can't and and you know being an attorney can't have wonderful repercussions for for society and the world but it's just a kind of a different feel i think i agree yes mm-hmm. i'm glad it worked out this way <laughs> <laughs> you and i both All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to have more with Ryan Burke uh, from Angry Orchard right after this. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're uh, talking with Ryan Burke, the uh, head cider maker and head of research and development at Angry Orchard, longtime cider maker, uh, home brewer as well. Um, when you were first uh, making cider, you mentioned Mott's and all that, and, the, and you know the, the supply there. When when you're and when I first made cider, um, I've got uh, what we call Apple Hill near here, where you can drive up and get fresh pressed cider and all this, but. My first cider was made with, I think, a frozen treetop concentrate, and it actually turned out pretty good. And I think I won an award with that stuff. Is is do you have to, you know, like to harvest your own apples and crush them and press them, or can you make a passable cider just off of some juice? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think, yeah. I mean, 
in in at the simplest level, every apple can be turned into cider. Um, it's a you know, it's a simple sugar. It's going to make itself whether you do it or not. Um, and and I and and I think that you know, I always keep that in mind. Um, I think that it can it can give give returns that are kind of boring to a home cider maker without a lot of access to interesting fruit. So while every single apple is fermentable, not every single apple gives you something that like makes you excited or like Mm -hmm. delivers a really interesting uh, finished cider. So, you know, for me, I'm always looking for apples that have some level of tannin and, you know, increased acidity and et cetera, et cetera. So the average, grocery store type apple that you might get at the mill or at the grocery store or at the farmer's market. Um, It's not that you can't make good cider out of it. I think ultimately it begins a quest for more. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and that could be other like looking for these apple varieties um, or it could be looking to adjuncts, you know, and that's when you start, people start putting hops in their cider or um, raisins or, you know, whatever you might put in there to like, make something a little more exciting. And I think that's cool. I mean, cider is, uh, is, is a category with, with, it has, you know, we have an association that attempts to make, um, categories and all that. And that's great and informative for the drinker. But, um, what I think is cool about it is it's almost serves in the sort of cocktail space where you can kind of do anything. Um, you can kind of add anything, anything you want to do to make it exciting. You could, you could bring into the mix. So, yeah, I think, yes, with the right fermentation and the right yeast, you can make something really interesting and good to drink out of the most basic of apples, except for the Red Delicious. That apple is not a good apple to make cider out of, but it's not delicious. It's a deceptive name. (laughs) Well, what do you look for in a cider apple? Yeah, so a, you know, quote unquote cider apple, you know, another way to say that is a bittersweet or a bitter sharp apple. Um, That's an apple that has you know, some level of tannin in it, bitters meaning tannin. Um, you'll find that in crab apples too, some crab apples. Um, so I, I always want, I don't always want, I often want some, some of that. Um, usually not, you know, no one apple has everything that you want. So a bittersweet apple is going to have tannin and sugar, but not a lot of acid. So then I'm going to have to look somewhere else for some acidity. Now there are a couple apples out there that have it all, but they're hard to come by. Um, and, you know, it's cool to make single variety stuff, but I like to look around and pull character from different places. So mm. it's really a, it's a balance of kind of three things. Um, some amount of acidity, some amount of tannin, and then sugar to make alcohol. So okay. I'm always sort of playing around in, in those three spaces. Do cider apples and pie apples have a bit in common? Mm. In terms of the characters you're looking for? A lot of the like pie apples, like for instance, will be like Northern Spy is one of those apples. It's a New York State variety. Um, yep. Actually found it a few towns over from where I grew up. So it's something that I'm particularly proud of that apple. And we use a lot of it in Walden. Um, and often that apple has been used for pie because um, it stands up. It's a it's a hearty apple, right? It's It's got a length. Yeah. And so it's an apple that one... I could leave on the tree for a lot longer than other apples um, and, and it'll continue to improve. I can put it in cold storage. It'll stick around for a while because it's that 
it's stir it's a it's just a sturdy apple it's got a lot of length and it used to be a very popular apple for the eating industry before like cold storage is what it is today where you can store an apple for you know 18 months um it used to be an apple you could store it just in your barn you know for four or five months into the springtime and we do that now um and yeah so those kind of apples generally do have some added interesting character preservative qualities and might have some tannin and some high level of acidity which allows it to last a little bit longer the same way it allows the cider to last a little bit longer in the bottle as far as like aging it goes okay so are are you guys growing your own apples and a follow-on question uh why is the orchard angry does that help the flavor i just can't escape that question can i (laughs) (laughs) um yes yeah i mean we are growing our we are growing apples um, on our farm. So Walden is a sixty acre orchard. Um, about well, take away the, the space that's the cider house and parking and whatever. There's about forty odd acres that are planted, um, and then we also are growing some apples um, up in the Finger Lakes with some partner growers. Um, after that, that's kind of that's like the largesse of our own um, orcharding. All, almost all of that gets consumed at Walden. Some of it goes into our national flagship, Angry Orchard Crisp. Um, as far as the fruit that we use for the rest of our production, like our national production that you find in the store, um, that's either grown in France or Pacific Northwest um, and, and to some extent in New York State. Hey, you mentioned earlier crab apples. Uh, I've also read that, you know, some of the ugliest apples are the apples that are abused in the, in the orchard, the ones that not getting, you know, as much water or whatever, are actually better cider apples because the sugar content's different or the flavor develops differently. Can you speak to that a little bit? Can, yeah. It, 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 it speaks more to the fact that we don't need our fruit to look pristine on a grocery store shelf. So that industry um, expects a pristine apple that appears to be wrapped in plastic and sometimes is wrapped in plastic. Um, and that's consumer, that's what, that, that's what the grocery store uh, shopper, uh, kids lunchbox filler expects. Um, we as cider makers don't have to meet those needs. No one really sees our apples, right? They just see the finished product. So um, we don't have the same inputs as it comes, as it, as it relates to like farming. So we can, a lot of the inputs, a lot of the, um, you know, spray, um, any, uh, any kind of application you might put on the tree during the season. Um, a lot of that is for the sake of the grocery store. And since we don't have to do that, we can kind of, we can kind of skip a lot of inputs um and therefore sometimes and often the apples themselves you know they don't look pristine they look a little more ugly um and yeah for for a lot of reasons they're better they're better apples for um for cider making jason asks uh, thoughts about the graph style 49 percent apples 51 percent wort hops yeah. who will be a will it be a style that brewers latch on to Geez, I, you know, um, that the, the cider we have coming up with, um, with, um, Crooked Stave is sort of in that space. Um, I think it's, I think it's cool. I think it, you know, it kind of brings beer. Um, I like things that, bl- that blend the, 
blend the lines, right? And so for me, a beer that's that is like a wine, I would say is like a like lambic style beer, right? So can we take a lambic style beer and blend it with apple juice and do a fermentation that way and like get it even closer to into that wine space? Well, I guess cider space in this case, but um, yeah, I think it's cool. I think it um, it I think it elevates the beer in the right in the right situation. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, you know, one of the things that uh, I was told as far as apple making is, you know, or uh, cider making is, you know, there's Perry, but also, you know, the possibility of adding some pears to an apple cider because the natural uh, residual sweetness uh, or of a, of a pear uh, adding to the fullness of a, of an apple cider. Yeah. Um, I mean, pears, pears um, sometimes often have unfermentable sugars in them. So, you know, a cider apple or an apple has zero unfermentable sugars. Um, and so, yeah, if you want to have something that's naturally sweet without adding anything back, that is more or less stable without any kind of pasteurization or sulfite adding or anything like that, then pears are a, a good way, um, a good way to go. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely recommended. Um, most of the pears that you can get your hands on, you know, are pretty basic. Um, mm-hmm. Like Boss grocery store pears, apples or yeah. grocery store pears. They're not like peri pears that are, I mean, even as a cider maker with means, I can hardly get my hands on those. And like, trust me, if they're out there, I'm getting my hands on them before, (laughs) before everyone else. Um, And everyone else feels that way too. You know, I mean, they're just, they're so hard to come by Um, the the great Perry pears. And so in my, in my total career, I've made Perry um, from Perry pears in America only three times. Um, And in the case of Walden, we actually get them from Oregon. So we almost buy it almost all of our fruit comes from New York and the Northeast. Um, but, but we work with um, a grower named Kevin who has, has a cider brand called easy orchards, which um, or any of your listeners um, have access to his cider in my, for my taste is some of the best cider in the world. Um, but he's also an expert grower and he grows a few peri pears and I'm, I'm able to get like a couple hundred gallons of it every other year. Um, I guess it's been, so yeah, we didn't get any this year. Um, we did get some last year. It's just such a, it, it, they're so hard to grow. It's such a rare commodity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I basically would do anything for Perry. It is mm-hmm. like the, yeah, it's like the the next thing I would love to just totally dive into and grow a ton of Perry pears. Oh. If what uh, percentage of pear juice would you add to a cider? Just as kind of like a, a baseline to make it interesting. Yeah, probably. I mean, maybe just just 10% of a blend would probably be enough. Okay. I personally, like, I you know, if I was making it at home, um, you know, I'd probably be after, like, in, making an interesting, like, drier cider. Um, so, I mean, you start going up from 10%, 20%, you probably, you'll have a medium, kind of medium sweet cider. Um, so, somewhere okay. in that space. I think 10 to 20, cool. cool. Yeah. And, you know, from my perspective, um, I think, you know, a slow and cold managed fermentation when it comes to cider is really important. Um, And especially on the home side, Um, it's it's another one of those things where people just 
have been, been being around for as long as I have and judged as many competitions as I've judged um, and interacted with so many people just around like home cider making. One of the things, you know, and I hear of people feeling bad about their fermentations and like having failures and then sort of abandoning it because it sucks. Um, that's something that I really want people to be able to avoid because like that home cider maker is where the next cider maker is. And um, I, we want to pull for those people that are like, as an industry, people that are really excited and working on something cool at home. And so if I could advocate for anything um, for a home cider maker is to have some kind of temperature control because oh, yeah. cider just isn't beer. And one, stay away from beer yeast. Um, and two, control your fermentation temperature. Um, you know, if you got to build out, uh, you know, a chest freezer, um, which is what I would recommend and have done, I actually still have my homebrew chest freezer in my basement right now. Um, and you know, in a, in a, a temperature control on that. So you can ferment, you know, around 60 degrees Fahrenheit instead of, you know, 75 and above, that's where you're going to start getting a lot of off flavors, off aromas. Um, I really, I feel like cider is a really delicate medium and it requires a little bit, um, it, it just requires a little bit more attention to detail on the fermentation temp and speed. And, and this is, you know, folk science, although I have some real science I could show you too, but hmm. um, folk science around, hey, look, if, if you slow things down, and you're delicate with it, you're going to get more out of it on the other side. You're going to get more aroma. You're going to get more uh, body and mouthfeel. Um, it just lends a better, lends to a, a better finished cider to slow things down a little bit. I've heard that colder, colder cider fermentation, better aromatics, better, better uh, body. And one of the things might be just, you know, rapid evolution of CO2 scrubs a lot of aromatics yep. out of whatever you're fermenting. Oh, hundred percent. You know, on the, on, the, on the flip side, you're probably trapping more sulfur in there. Um, yep. But, you know, it's it's a balancing act. What what uh, sort of yeast do you recommend uh, for cider making? Yeah, so I like, um, well, I like to not pitch any yeast at all um, is, my, is my favorite way to ah, go with uh -huh. things. Natural. Um, yeah. If you're not quite ready for that yet, um, I think that, Neutral wine yeasts are really nice. Um, in particular, if you have some apples with a little bit of character, um, you really want to showcase that. You don't want to showcase the yeast so much. Um, so white, you know, I'll look for a white wine yeast that can tolerate some cold and is going to lend mid palate body. Um, and I, I say that because a lot of the apples, the average home cider maker can get their hands on are probably the average grocery store apples or somewhere around that. Now, maybe if you live in like New Hampshire, then that's different. Um, but on average, you know, that that's the case. And so you want to find something that's gonna bring that middle up because it's kind of the thing that's missing. You're probably not going to have a lot of fruit with tannin and body. So if you can find a yeast that helps assist, like assists mid palate um, weight, then, you know, and those yeasts are out there, they're easy to find. Um, and, you know, again, something that'll tolerate a little bit of a colder temperature um, is, is great. I, I, that's my go-to. In fact, even in, in Walden, when we do pitch yeast, that's generally the kind of thing we're, we're looking for. Um, if you can find apples that have, you know, tannin in them, then 
there's there's like the red wine yeast that are there to help boost that that robustness um and we do and we use we use those kinds of yeast too we don't use any like quote unquote cider yeast um so only only wine yeast and never never brewing yeast mm-hmm. okay and what about uh nutrients uh, yeah i mean nutrients are really important um so uh, you know, we use organic nitrogen. That's what I recommend. You can easily get that as a home cider maker. Um, I, I, I rely on that and I rely on oxygen. Um, so somewhere um, right after, you know, when the fermentation starts, I kind of wait and watch for it. Um, if I'm a home cider maker and I'm all I'm, you know, in the simplest setup, I'm like waiting to see some bubbles as soon as I see some bubbles, I'm putting in some organic nitrogen and I'm getting some oxygen in there somehow. Do you have a dosage rate that you'd recommend people start with? From a, from a nutrient standpoint? Yeah. Um, I usually, honestly, (laughs) this is unscientific. Um, whatever the recommendation is, it's usually for wine. Mm. Um, I usually, and, and because I want to move slowly, is you throw in a bunch of nitrogen, you're immediately going to you're going to kick the fermentation yeah. up. So I usually, without any, without reading your packet of yeast nutrient, mm-hmm. I would do half of the recommended dose. Mm-hmm. And okay. I I I can tell you this uh, at Virtu, right when we got going, you know, we didn't have we were we were uh, we just like didn't have the lab set up. We were a really small crew. Um, we were just trying to like get it done and, mm-hmm. and that's what we were doing with ciders that we were putting out to the market that was distributed in like, you know, 30 States or whatever it was, 15 States. Um, we were just like, all right, we didn't have glycol at the time. So it was like, all right, how are we going to do this right? But slow it down mm-hmm. half, the, half the yeast nutrient. Mm-hmm. So that's my, you can put that on my gravestone, half the yeast nutrient. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I have a question. I mean, um, yeah. you say organic nitrogen. To yeah. me, that sounds like urea. <laughs> or yeah. well, um, is that what you mean? Or you know, are we talking about different other compounds? I mean, they, they it's yeast hull, uh, yeast hull based. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I mean, you know, not a shameless plug. We use Scott Labs, Lelamon. That's I think you can get little packets of Lelamon too. Um, <laughs> And it's they have a they have a product called Fermate O. Um, it's just organic yeast hull. Okay. Um, yep. So and not so, ammonium nitrate or something like that. No, no. And and so one of the reasons, aside from the fact that it's organic nitrogen, I I like to use it because if you were if you were to look at how it doles itself out across the fermentation, instead of one big bang, it actually is a nice arc. And so I'll pitch it right when I see those bubbles with some oxygen and it'll be a nice arc and kind of drop off rather than a big hit. Um, So the yeast don't explode. They sort of continue to work slowly. And then some, let's say the Play-Doh, I mean, I speak in bricks. It's about the same as Play-Doh. Let's say you start at 14 Play-Doh, you know, somewhere around between 10 and eight, probably closer to eight Play-Doh you want to do another hit of nitrogen and oxygen. And then after that, you're keeping oxygen out of the situation, right? That's like, then you're going to, after that, it's going to absorb as much oxygen you put in your fermentation still going. It'll do a nice 
another nice little arc, not a big hit. Um, and you'll, you know, then you'll want to keep oxygen down. It'll absorb all that oxygen, no oxidation. Um, but you'll want to be careful from that point on oxygen, you know, more or less becomes your enemy at that point. Now, are you doing a half dose each time for yeah. a yeah. total of a dose or always so and you're I still, doing a quarter and a quarter? Uh, uh, no, a half and a half. And I still do that today. Um, mm -hmm. I still, every cider that I make in Walden, I do it that same exact way. Um, it's, it's served me well. I also, um, if anyone's interested in getting into natural and wild fermentations, um, I do it that way too. Um, I won't pitch yeast and I'll, and I'll watch for my fermentations to start. And then I will treat my wild yeast the same way I treat, um, a pitched yeast. Very interesting. Uh, Sean asks, I noticed finished cider has a slight sulfur smell. Why is that? Hmm. Well, not all finished cider. <laughs> Some, uh, I mean, it, it's it's hard to really answer that question without tasting or smelling right. the exact what it cider. Is, right. mm -hmm. But there's a couple things that it could be. Um, um, I mean, for instance, I'm smelling and drinking this cider that has zero sulfur. Um, you know, so it is a thing people say. Um, it can come from a few things. One, someone could have just put too much damn sulfur in um in their right. bottle and right. packaging right. um which is is totally possible and probably likely mm. um i don't know if something can be probably likely but you know what i mean um <laughs> probably <so>, yeah <laughs> it could be that it also could be i mean you mentioned it um sort of briefly there you know hydrogen sulfide is another thing that can happen when the fermentation is too cold or too sluggish um so it could be one of those two things. I avoid that sulfur note, like the plague, and I considered it a flaw. And if I, you know, if if I find it in a cider that we've made at Angry Orchard, then it goes down the drain. Well, and I would say, you know, homebrew wise, if you got a keg of it, it seems a little sulfury, you could yeah. bubble some CO2 through and yeah. try and drive it off a little bit. Uh, yeah, you know, for sure. You actually can. And, 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 I, and I did say, you know, oxygen is your enemy, but actually... And in, in, in this case, it, it can be a positive. I mean, there is a there is a point at which, you know, you get reductive character, which is, you know, sort of smells like baby diaper. Um, you want to avoid that, too. And one of the things that I've learned over time is that even though I believe oxygen in mass is my enemy, um, I find after fermentation when I'm racking, it's better to let oxygen around, not all over the place, but let's say I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to flush my lines with CO2, for instance, because when I, especially in a, in a natural fermentation, a wild fermentation, something that I've fermented for a long period of time, or has had extended lees contact, when I rack it, I'll let a little oxygen in there because it stirs things up, it, it blows things off, and I leave some of that um, sulfur, sulfur character in the background, which actually further answers um uh the listener's question um you know time is your friend mm -hmm. um a lot of times people will treat cider like beer in the sense that they and i don't mean all beer but let's say an ipa um you know you ferment it you do your pop work and then you package it um, almost immediately it's very quick you know you have a turnaround that's a couple weeks maybe less um cider really enjoys a little bit of time hanging out 
Um, things come back together. It's a very delicate process. It likes time. And so um, if you can, as a home cider maker, take your time on the other side. I mean, let's be honest, there's no rush here. Um, unless it's like competition time or something and you're trying to get it in. Um, well, you should have planned better. Sorry. Um, uh, especially if I'm judging, because if I smell sulfur on your cider, I'm going to, I'm going to mark you down, you know, it's going to be marked down and, and, and it'll be against you on a score. So like take your time, right? There's no rush here. Um, and a lot of that sulfur character that gets captured in the package blows away in the carboy. So mm -hmm. let it, you know, give it some time, let it do its thing come back to it and then package it. There you go. All right. Let's take a short break. Uh, when we come back, I want to hear about uh, a lot of the ciders you make uh, that a, a lot of people may never have heard about. We'll be back yep. right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature march pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. I wanted to tell you about my good friends, uh, Josh and RJ at Brew Chatter. Uh, Brewchatter.com. It's a really nice homebrew shop just outside of Reno in Sparks, Nevada. And uh, they've got everything you want to make a great cider there. They can help you. They even got the, uh, the, uh, the stuff to crush it and press it. And they got all that stuff there. They've got all the different yeasts. They've got uh, books. They got a lot of knowledge. And most importantly, they're just super nice guys that uh, want to see us be successful. So uh, check them out, brewchatter.com. If you go down there, say hi to Josh and RJ for me as well. All right. Uh, before the break, we were talking about um, uh, the types of ciders you guys make. That, uh, you, you guys make, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Angry Orchard and the, and the array of uh, ciders you make there. But you also make, you know, naturally, spontaneously fermented, uh, you know, ciders, you've got barrel aids, you got a whole array of things. Uh, tell us about some of those. Sure. Yeah. I mean, our, our project in Walden is, you know, relatively new um, in the scope of the brand. We bought the property that we're at in 2014. Um, we opened the doors in 2015. Um, it's in the middle of a 60 acre orchard, um, like I mentioned before. And so we're surrounded by apples. And so I just like 
when I first saw the property, the first thing I thought is, okay, this is this this isn't any different than what Cantillon once was in the middle of a cherry orchard, right? We're in the exact same place. Uh, well, not exact same, but same idea. And so um, I came into it um, already being very heavily influenced by um, English cider making traditions. Tom Oliver of Oliver Cider in Hereford, UK um, is one of my um, one of my closest friends, but also a mentor of mine. Um, actually, I'm drinking this collab cider we did, um, what we do year on year um, over in the UK. Um, and I, I really just like, uh, the, I love expression of terroir. I love what it means to be in and of a place. So to have um, the opportunity to really express that at Walden has been like, I mean, this is my life's work, right? Um, at Virtue, we did a lot of natural and wild fermentation. So I, I came into it. I came into Angry Orchard with a lot of work, a lot of time put against those ideas. Um, but we weren't a working orchard. We were in farmland, farm country, but, you know, we weren't surrounded by an orchard in the same way that we are um, in New York. And so, you know, right out the gate, everything we did in Walden was zero pitch. In year one, we built, I mean, we built this barn, right? We built the cider house. So instead of opening up and pitching yeast, we pitched zero yeast. Um, so in our first vintage, 2015, we didn't use a single uh, lab produced yeast. Everything was natural. We opened the windows up. So our, our cellar is a big octagon. We opened all the windows up and just went ahead and did all our fermentations naturally. Um, and so we really open, open fermenters. Well, we, we don't, but we don't need to because we don't have a hot side. Um, so apples come in off the orchard, we press Mm -hmm. them. It's a cold process. Right. Um, so nothing is killing off our yeast. Mm -hmm. Um, so our press really is the point of contact. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it just, over time, I mean, you can clean it till you're, till you're dead. It's not, you're not going to, you know, you can't stop, you can't stop the hustle. And you're not worried about, uh, you know, Joe Bob coming in uh, out of the bathroom, got the stank finger, you know, perhaps <laughs> he didn't can't, use enough paper no, and, you know. Joe, <laughs> Joe Bob can't get near my friend. That, 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 you know, Joe Bob's got to wear gloves or, you know. Yeah, I mean, we're very, we're very careful. Um, we're, we're, we're pristinely clean. We, we definitely operate like brewers that way. Um, mm-hmm. You can eat off the floor in the cellar or you better be when I show up there tomorrow, we better be able to eat off the cellar. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a stickler on that stuff. It's very important to me. Um, our cellar is always, always pristine. Um, and um, yeah, I'm not, so I don't really, by keeping our world very clean, mm-hmm. I feel very comfortable to take what might be considered risks. Um, but, you know, this is my 11th season of cider production professionally. I feel pretty comfortable about like those risks um and i yeah we just we don't really with the right measures in place we don't have a ton of failure mm-hmm. uh, we certainly have some but it isn't often um and now, do you do you wait for a certain time and and uh in the in the season for for harvesting and fermenting because for example you know i know at canton they wait for like five freezing nights when we do yep. something here, we wait for three freezing nights because we're in California and where we're located. 
three freezing nights are about as good as it's going to yeah. get yeah. Uh, to kill down, you know, as much of the bacteria as possible that are on the apples or, yep. I mean, how does that work? How do you, how do you time that out? 100%. Yeah, we, we do. And it, it's actually nice because it not always in a, in a perfect year and let's just pretend that they're all perfect. They're mm -hmm. definitely not, but in a perfect year, you know, we're harvesting late into October. We, we would we'll still be harvesting now, even into November, depending on the apple variety. So we, it's a cold process all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, things are definitely tempered. Um, I mean, our tanks of course are on glycol. Um, we can keep things cool. Um, uh, our, all our, our, you know, our Oak program, some of it is in chilled rooms. Some of it is not. So yeah, the colder temperatures are definitely important to us. And, um, we really don't get going. Like we just started pressing this week when the temperatures are below, um, you know, below 50 Fahrenheit during the day and they're dropping into the thirties at night. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, that is important to this process. That's one of those things that we have in place as a process that allows us to then take, you know, again, what might be considered risks, but, but th this is one of those ways we mitigate the, that kind of risk, like the, the uh, bacterial failure risk. Right. Uh, Jason was asking, is there a drawback of bringing the uh, apple juice to a boil? I guess to, he's asking to kill bacteria and wild yeast, but. Yeah. I mean, you can do it. Um, if you want it, I mean, I ass assume he's trying to pasteurize the juice ahead of time. Um, I don't really think you need to, I mean, if you're going to pitch a yeast against some apple juice, it's a, it's going to be a killer strain against whatever's in there. And mm -hmm. I mean, another thing that like we, if you think about cider from a brewing perspective, uh, let's say it's better to not think about cider from a brewing perspective mm -hmm. because we don't have complex sugars. So most, not all, but most of the things that you might be worried about fucking your cider up, they're not going to have an opportunity to, to, to play because your, your primary sack is going to finish the fermentation and then that's it. I mean, unless you're, you know, adding sugar back and you have no way to stabilize, but I mean, you have a dry cider, it's not a real hospitable environment for anything except malolactic bacteria. Um, and in, in my personal preference, I like a cider that goes through malolactic fermentation. So I don't avoid that. If mm -hmm. you're scared about that, and a lot of people are, then there's ways to stabilize your cider on the other side. So I don't think the extra step out front um, of boiling or bringing your cider to a boil, it doesn't really get you what I, what you think it's going to get you. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because just pitch the yeast and, and deal with it on the other side, not up front. I mean, unless like your cider is like, you know, some trash from some garbage mill and it's disgusting. I mean, then maybe don't, don't permit that stuff. Your Bob's put a stank finger in and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ryan, now, I want to go back to the yeast question. I mean, when yeah. you talk about wild yeasts and, and the yeast that are naturally on the apples, mm -hmm. um, are these Britannomyces type yeasts, or are they a different species? Yeah, I mean, it certainly depends on where you are, what time of the year it is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's hard to like narrow that down. We actually have done, um, we've done trials where we plate the orchard at blossom, and then we plate 
the orchard at harvest and then we ferment and then we look at the fermentation and see, do we find the same things that we plated in the orchard actually in the finished cider, which mm-hmm. has been, uh, it's an ongoing project. All the results aren't in, we've got a lot more work to do, but there's, it, it's, it's something that like, I'm, I really want to like dedicate a lot of time to and, and try to write about because I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting path. And so the answer to that is yes, we have seen, um, some sacro that we found in the orchard, uh, like, you know, unbanked sacro out in the orchard that we then find, um, in the cider. A lot of, when we isolate those things, we'll, we'll find a lot of bacteria. Um, often we at our site are not finding Brett from the orchard. Certainly we have Brett in the cider house. Um, I mean, it's just unavoidable. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 I always love the, the, the sparkling cider that was created in the garage, you know, when I was a kid, just because the the jug sat out there in cool temperatures and slowly became sparkling over time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in our homebrewing days, we've had made ciders, we've pitched yeast, we've, um, they've done, you know, natural fermentations. They were very Brett like very, very barnyard. And sure. it's like, uh, yeah, not what I was looking for in a cider. No. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it can, it just depends on where it is. Like, and I mean that by like how excessive it is and then kind of where I'm drinking it, what the occasion is. So if I'm, yeah. if I'm out in the West country of England and, you know, at say, I'll, I'll just use Tom as an example, you know, his cider house is in, he grows, he, he raises cattle um, and they've been raising cattle and sheep on this farm for, you know, generations. And, you know, it, you're going to smell some, <laughs> you're going to smell some cow in some, not all the cider, but some of the cider that he does his cider house that you can see, you can literally like be tasting a barrel and look out through the barn wall that's you know you can see through the slats <laughs> and look a cow dead in the face um yeah. so are you going to get barnyard in that yeah probably um and in that case i find it appropriate and interesting and um he he ferments for it and he blends for it and so therefore i find it to be nuanced and delicate and 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 i probably already said appropriate but appropriate for like that drinking time and that sure. moment and then give me some cheese from that same farm or that same i mean and then like you know that's that's trend you know that's transcendent yes. um, but do i want to drink that you know sitting here talking to you probably not it's probably not what i want to have in my glass right now although as it turns out <laughs> this is pretty funky <laughs> <laughs> Um, have you ever used, uh, enzymes in, in your cider making? Do you, you use pectic enzyme or anything yeah. like that? I have, um, I don't generally, um, I'm not against it in any way. Um, it makes a lot of sense. It, it, I, you know, I, I have a certain luxury in my cellar that, you know, if I speak to a home cider maker who definitely doesn't, um, I would probably use it from a clarification standpoint. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I prefer to take the luxury of time um, and let, and, and cold and let my ciders 
just slowly drop out. So the cider that we make in Walden, probably about 75% of the cider we make there is done this way. Um, we make some cider that's, you know, clarified and, and sparkling and more like reminiscent of what you might find at the grocery store. Um, but most of the cider we make is not. And those ciders will, will generally, at a minimum, will take a year to complete um, and up to three years to complete. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that time, I naturally clarify. I don't need to add any of that. And for me, stripping anything out is a negative. I mm-hmm. want it all. I want mm-hmm. it all in there. I want all the character um, and the least amount of rem- you know removal is the best for mm-hmm. that particular type of cider. It isn't always appropriate. Um, and so when I make um, something, you know, we have like just standard, like our standard farm cider. It's, um, well, actually we don't use enzymes in it, but I could see using enzymes in it. Um, we just, I, I just say we don't use enzymes, period. Um, but I, I'm not opposed to it. It makes a ton of sense. Um, and I, I could see using it if I needed to, you know, mm-hmm. I just don't need to. So I don't. All right. Uh, one more short break. When we come back, uh, I want to learn more about the uh, barrel age ciders you do. Great. We'll ask about that right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're here with Ryan Burke, uh, head cider maker at uh, Angry Orchard and and uh, Walden. They do uh, uh, an amazing array of stuff. And one of the things I was curious about was your barrel-aged ciders. I mean, I love barrel-aged beers. You know, wines are, are, are barrel-aged, or most of them are. Uh, it just makes sense to barrel-aged ciders. Uh, do you yeah. barrel-age a lot of them, or are most of them in stainless? Um, we do a mix. Um, so... We have a couple of different programs for Oak. Um, one of them is our bourbon barrel age program. So we have a cider called Wooden Sleeper. Um, it is 100% bourbon barrel aged. And in that case, we're using older bourbon barrels. It's always important to think about cider in a delicate way because it isn't beer and it isn't wine. Um, it doesn't have the alcohol and the strength um, of acidity and tannin that wine does. It isn't beer. It doesn't have those complex sugars. It, it doesn't have, it, it's very like bare naked. You know, you need to be really nice to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we use older bourbon barrels. So like in the nine plus range, um, everything we do there is at least one year uh, of aging. And we do that um, in an evaporative way. So I know I mentioned oxygen is my enemy. When it comes to barrel aging, I feel a little bit different. Our house character is micro-oxidative, and um, that's just a preference. Um, it, I, I, it isn't necessarily the way it should be. Um, it's the way I like things. So, um, and that's just from tasting, you know, cider around the world over time. Um, and yeah, so that uh, wooden sleeper will will go into the barrel for at least one year um, and up to three years. So each time we make it, the system gets older. Um, so we'll do, you know, let's say we have a hundred barrels. Um, we'll take 20 out to blend and, and the result, the, the remaining stuff gets older. 
And then a couple months later, we'll pull 20 more barrels out and it continues to get older, but then we'll start to backfill the system. Um, so it's, 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 and then everything is evaporative. So we never top anything off. So you get a little bit of like oxidative sort of sherry like character. Um, and the cider's coming out around 10 and a half percent alcohol. Uh, as it turns out, it's our most popular cider that we make at Walden. Um, it hits kind of the beer guy, bourbon barrel need. Um, it's got, you know, kind of a higher alcohol, um, we sell it in little 187 cans. So it's like single serve can. Um, it's fun project. And we do a bunch of variants. We do one with maple syrup. Um, we do one that's like uh, kind of like a mulled cider called Wasail Wooden Sleeper in the wintertime that you could you could serve warm. Um, so that's a fun project. That's kind of like its own thing. We keep it over there in a, in one of our barns. And then in, the, in another barn, which we call the stone barn, it's actually built of stone of the orchard. Um, which was pretty cool. We bought the property that this was a barn that was there when they first started farming there like 80 or so years ago, they dug up the ground to plant the trees and they built this barn out of the stone that they pulled up. So it has a lot of history to it, which is cool. So in there, um, we've got um, uh, a lot of fooders. Um, well, we just, we, American um, fooder crafters or fooder crafters of America um, in St. Louis, they just built us a system that's um, what is it? Six across uh, and then five above. Um, they're 750 gallons ish. I, I I can't say that in barrels, but you could probably figure it out. Um, and that's all natural fermentation, wild fermentation. Um, we've got a series of um, used French oak fooders that used to be in um, that actually used to be in France. They were used to age. Um, uh, cognac and Armagnac. Um, and so in all of those cases, it's all natural fermentation. We don't ever pitch yeast in that cellar. Um, mm-hmm. and so for me, that's like, the that's the, the pride of the, of the project is what's in that, in that room. And so, um, if anyone out there does get a chance to come visit, um, it's a pretty special place to get to taste some really cool, um, you know, naturally fermented ciders. And then we have one other program where we make a cider that's in, um, it is in, uh, homage to the cider of Spain, which is, um, right. Like the pinnacle of cider, um, at, at least from a, like a cultural standpoint, when you go to Asturias, Spain, it's like, um, the motherland of cider. Um, they drink more cider there per capita than anywhere in the world. And just this one little part of Spain. Um, and, and, and it's a place where you, you know, you can, everyone knows England drinks a lot of cider, um, and you can go to England and you can drink a lot of cider, but there's not really the cider culture is relatively new. People just get pissed on cider. Um, and there's a, there's a, a growing group of cider makers in the UK that are elevating beyond that and creating a cider culture. But Spain has a cider culture that goes back centuries hmm. and, um, and it's very sort of, you know, it isn't that well known, but when you go there, it's, everywhere it's everything it's a part of every meal and so as a cider maker it's just like uh, again i used transcendent before but i'll use it again when i go there i have a hard time keeping it together i have a hard time even talking about it um it's a very emotional place for me and so we i've been trying to replicate the cider that they make there my whole career and i failed over and over and over again i have in fact had a mentor of mine drink the cider and spit it on my feet uh, <laughs> while in Spain. 
and say this has nothing to do with this has nothing to do with Spanish cider. This is shit. Um, but over the last couple of years, we've really been able to refine it, and we've gotten to a point where, like, I believe, and I've had my my Spanish cider making compatriots taste and be like, this is this is it. You you sort of got you've gotten it there. Um, and so that's one other program we have. We do just a small amount of it every year. It's in its own little room. Um, it's a hundred percent fermented in oak. Um, no pitch at all, no temperature control except the cold of uh, outside um, and goes through full malolactic. It's served still and dry. It's, I would say it's a connoisseur level cider, not for your average drinker, but to me, it's, it's everything. So if I could just make one cider for the rest of my life, it would be that cider. Well, next time some homebrew brings me a beer, I'm going to spit. No matter how good it is, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to spit it on his shoes and say, yeah. like, this, this is shit. This is shit. Hey, I, I mean, you know, it. it's good to get a kick There in the must be sometimes. some Spanish phrase I can use after that, too. You know, yeah. <laughs> just totally leave him wondering. Merdick, yeah. <laughs> um, what's the weirdest cider you've ever mm. made? Well, probably the weirdest cider I made is back back in my Michigan virtue days. Um, Seth um, Bove, who's the cider maker there now, who, who we worked together uh, back then, we decided that at Halloween time we would because everyone's making pumpkin whatever, mm-hmm. um, and we we definitely like eschewed anything anything that wasn't made 100 from apples. We were like, no way, we're not into it. And you know, I sort of softened to that over time. But back then, I was very like about anything. If it wasn't apples or pears, it didn't go in the cider. Period. Uh-huh. Um, and if you do that, like sacrilege. So we, as sort of a uh, uh, a joke slash like needing to do something cool for the tap room decided to hollow out a massive pumpkin and uh-huh. use that as our fermentation tank. Uh-huh. And we fermented a cider in the pumpkin um, and then tapped said pumpkin for the cider uh, once it was finished to make <laughs> a pumpkin cider. Nice. Uh, as you might imagine, it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you would think you'd get some weird, weird flavors. I, yeah, I, I imagine it probably works better with uh, like a stout or something like that where you've yeah. got enough bold flavors. And maybe you could, you know, uh, toast the inside of the pumpkin to kind of yeah. caramelize the sugars a little bit. Well, if Eat. someone wants to try it, I'm down to taste it. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds fascinating. Have you ever used uh, maple in cider? Yeah, yeah, we, so the wooden sleeper that I was telling you about, the bourbon barrel age stuff, we do, um, there's a um, maple syrup producer here in the Hudson Valley called Crown Maple, and we do a collaboration with them every year um, where we, they do a bourbon barrel age maple syrup. Um, okay. And so we work with them on the bourbon barrels, um, and then ultimately, so we'll age the cider in bourbon barrel aged, uh, I'm sorry, we'll age the cider in bourbon barrels that had previously held maple syrup. Um, And then we will add maple syrup uh, back to it also. Um, And it's, it is quite sweet, um, but sort of sits in like a Madeira space. And I actually really like the, you know, like I, like I said, the program is very like micro oxidation. So you get these kind of sherry characters. So actually 
um, the sweetness from the maple syrup really lends a, a sort of cool, um, some cool body and character to an otherwise dry cider. Um, and it really, I wouldn't drink a pint glass of it, but people do. Um, it's like 13% alcohol. It's real sweet. Um, and in fact, when we, we do like a, you know, maple wooden sleeper release day, it's like our one cider that, um, people, you know, we, we sell out of it the day we release it. People are there in the morning waiting in line. I've been trying to get that kind of excitement around cider the same way beer has for years. It's really difficult. Um, I, where I, I, where I live in Beacon, New York, um, the Hudson Valley brewery is here. And I, it doesn't matter what they released. There's a line starting the night before to buy their cans and their bottles. It's just like nuts. It's still, like I'm. It's still it's 2020 going in 2021, and that's still happening. You know, and I come from, you know, I got into this industry in Chicago when 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 um, Bourbon County Stout was the thing that you would wait in line for back when you had to. You know, yeah. people would line up at Binnie's and people would be chasing the, you know, they would be chasing the distribute the distribute. The distribution truck down the road to get their hands on one bottle you know and i was one of those guys uh i would have done anything for those beers back then and now i can't i can't you know they're everywhere but um that, that speaks to a very good beer um you know we i've been trying to bring that get that thing in yeah. the cider world um and it's been hard to do this is one of those things that has worked um, is this bourbon barrel aged maple syrup thing. And we throw this party around it, but when we sell it, we sell it with a little bottle of bourbon barrel aged maple syrup from crown maple and people will take the cider, pour it in and then pour the maple syrup into it. That's already had maple syrup poured into it and then drink it. And they, and people, they love it. It's so, it's a little too sweet for me, but if that's how you want to enjoy it, People like sweet. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, one last question. Andrew is has asked, uh, have you played with keeving? Yeah. I have no idea God. what keeving is. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, what is keeving? Yeah. So, oh man, even that is a difficult question. I will, I will simplify it to the best of my ability. Keeving is a process to retain natural sugar in a cider while also... Um, having natural carbonation in said cider. So if you've drunk a French cider before, you most likely have had a keeved cider. Mm. And so um, to quickly answer that question, yes, we keeve every year. Um, not a lot. It's a lot of work with a pretty high failure rate. Um, and it's also extremely uh, cost inefficient. Um, so it is a pretty, it's an antiquated process to achieve something that you can achieve in other ways. Um, but more or less what you are doing is, um, creating, uh, an, uh, environment where, um, your pectin and other nutrients, nitrogen, et cetera, in the cider is coagulates and that cider, I mean, that, uh, it's called the chapeau brun. It means brown mushroom or brown hat in French. It coagulates and, and sort of rises up through the cider via the carbonation, you know, the bubbles that are happening through fermentation. It kind of rises up to the top. They call it the brown hat. It sits up on the top. And then you rack your cider out from underneath it. In that mass is a lot of nitrogen, a lot of nutrient um, and pectin, right? And so it's, it kind of clarifies 
and also slows the fermentation down. So when you rack it, you have a disadvantaged cider. And if you get it to happen again, a mass floats up, um, you strip even more out, then you have an even more disadvantaged cider. And I mean disadvantaged versus against fermentation. So each time you do it, you're slowing that fermentation down another step. And the goal is to get to a point where you bottle that cider and it will finish well, it will continue to ferment and then die because the yeast is so weak that you retain natural sugar and get natural carbonation in the cider. Um, that can work. It often does not. And um, that's when you get either a completely dry cider in the bottle that's not supposed to be dry or you and you get a very overly carbonated cider with a cork, you know, cork and cage on it. And, you know, you get a gusher, um, which if you drink enough French cider, you're going to find a lot of. Um, but when done well, which is hard, um, mm. when done well, it's a beautiful thing. And it's nice to retain that natural apple sugar and get that natural carbonation because those bubbles are very fine and sort of champagne-like. Um, so I love a keep cider, um, we do it sort of out of sheer nerdiness, um, because honestly, it takes so much time, which we've got time. It, you lose so much cider when you do that. Uh-huh. And when, when we do it, I'm gonna, I'm not going to do it with like Macintosh. I'm going to do it with traditional cider apples. Our traditional cider apples are hard to come by. They're expensive. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to lose 30% of my fermentation to keeving, I got a hard time justifying that on the other side in the bottle. Right. Um, so the most you can pay for a cider generally, you know, is he can't really spend much more than 30 bucks on cider. Mm-hmm. You know, we have some things that are like 35 and $40. That's usually like an ice cider or something that, you know, we age for some crazy amount of time and has some nut story that we brought cider in from England and blended it and blah, blah, blah. Right. But we have to work so hard to break that as an industry to break that $30 price point that um, the story that of that, the brown mushroom is not going to push that, I think. You know, no, you exactly. You got to right. have, have a better, better story than a brown mushroom. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah here I am trying to explain it to you. Like how long has it took me like taking me to even like explain it in a way that makes it. Yeah. You can't write that on a bottle label. You can't write it on a bottle label. You can't tell it. You can't really tell a a drinker about it unless we're in a forum like this, like Mm -hmm. people coming through the tasting room couldn't care less. um, Or they don't understand it at all. Most cider makers don't even understand it. So. um, It sounds like the pellicle from a bacterial fermentation the the brown mushroom yeah well you're inducing it you want this to happen so you can add you can you can add you there's like a keeving kit you can buy online and you add it essentially will coagulate what you need coagulated and then you dispose of it and move forward um Mm -hmm. at the same time you know i can ferment a cider i can arrest the fermentation of the cider with cold yeah. Or filtration. I can lose instead of 40% or 30%, I can lose 5%. Yeah. I can bottle it and get my cider to re ferment in the bottle and get the fermentation to a rest in the bottle. 
and I can get, I, I mean, I, I, I've yet to do this. This is one, because I'm not that I'm opposed to keeving. I, it's always a thing that comes up and it's fun to talk about. What I, what I need to do is I need to do the same fermentation right next to each other with the exact same apples. Mm-hmm. I need to keeve one tank. I need to arrest the other tank mm-hmm. with, with cold and take it all the way through to the end to packaging and then put those ciders in front of myself and see if I can pick out which one was keeved and which uh-huh. one. Right. And I think, I don't know, but I, I, I think I won't be able to tell the difference. Right. Okay. It's, it's a lot of times, you know, it's things like, you know, decoction mashing and you know, yeah. just a, a ton of other things that, so do no, it. it's cool. It's romantic. It's, yeah. you know, it's it. fun to do as a home brewer, but you know, it's just yeah. impractical. I mean, we do it. I, I would never discourage it. We mm-hmm. do it every single year out of out of deference <laughs> to the French. You know, I, I love it. Um, and, and, and I enjoy to drink those ciders that have been keeved. So if you want to put the work in, more power to you. Very cool. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting those samples. And then they, uh, Ryan kindly sent some samples out for John and I. Unfortunately, they did not arrive in time for the show, but uh, that doesn't, that isn't going to stop us from drinking them and enjoying them. So yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. To do sure. a follow-up um, call with him. And if I, yeah, that would be awesome. I would love it. And you know, hopefully some of your um, listeners, you know, know about the project and know what we've been working on and, and, um, one of the problems we have with it is it's not readily available. You generally have to come and visit us, or there's a few restaurants around the country that, you know, the chef or owner we're friends with, and we, we send it out there. Uh, for instance, in Detroit at Mabel Gray, we always have cider that we make in New York, um, at his restaurant at James's restaurant there. So there's a few places that you can drink it if you don't get the chance to come to Walden. Um, if I can give one shameless plug, which is not my style but something that I'm super psyched about because I want people to drink the cider. It mm-hmm. matters to me. I put a ton of heart and soul into it and I think it's really good. And I want people to, to have great experiences with cider. After five years, we've been trying to get a cider club together where we can ship cider uh, for the first time starting in February. We're going to, we're going to have that. Um, so the details will be coming on, on our website or social media or whatever. Um, if it is something that people are interested in, and they do want to get their hands on it. We're finally um, going to have an opportunity to like get it out to, you know, whatever the I think it's like 30 odd states that we can ship to. So I'm really psyched about it, um, and it'll be a fun way for people to connect on on what we're doing there. Yeah, that's great. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I know uh, a lot of our listeners are as well. Cool. Thank you very much, Ryan, for spending uh, your time with us. We know you're you're busy and. You, got the uh, some some keeving to do and uh, yeah. you know <laughs> a lot of other things to do to keep keep things going uh thanks uh, again to our fine sponsors blickman engineering uh, check them out blickmanengineering.com and if you're ever out in the reno area check out brute chatter great folks there as well uh let's see uh if you're listening live stay tuned john and i will uh, do a live q a show and uh, answer your questions from emails as well as uh live on facebook uh but until then everybody brew strong brew strong everyone